This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. In this podcast, we're going to continue our discussion of nutritional supplements used to improve fitness. They're being promoted to enhance a variety of areas of physical fitness. Today, we're going to concentrate on those promoted to enhance strength, power, and overall performance. Once again, with us is Dr. Andrew Jagum, the Director of Sports Medicine Research at the Mayo Clinic. Andrew, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. Let me ask, what happens to muscle, both anatomically and physiologically, as an individual increases their strength? I assume muscle bulk increases, resulting in increase in strength. What's happening to the muscle at that point? So in order to kind of elicit an overall increase in strength, it kind of takes a a very targeted training approach and then also kind of a a targeted nutritional strategy as well. And the overall outcome is very dependent on both kind of a neuromuscular type of adaptive response, but then also more of a, a physiology or muscle physiology type of response. So from a neuromuscular standpoint, as one goes through repetitive training and kind of exposes themselves to high loads or kind of lifting heavy weights in a sense, they get better at recruiting their muscle fiber so they can recruit them more efficiently. They can recruit more of them and just kind of recruit them quicker and a more coordinated type of an effort. And that's something that happens generally early on in a program where someone is just kind of better able to exert higher force output because they're more able to kind of recruit those fibers and just a more coordinated effort. But then over the long term, we see that continued neuromuscular response or adaptation. But then also, again, here's where we see that increased muscle size or muscle hypertrophy is generally how it's referred to is. And here, there's kind of an increase in the contractile proteins, actin and myosin within a myofibril, the muscle cell. And over time, that's going to increase kind of the belly or the size of the muscle. So that's really another adaptive response that's also going to contribute to an increase in strength over time. So it's kind of this two-part adaptive response within the muscle that, again, over time will help someone generate more force. And we kind of explain that as someone's getting stronger over time. So it's not as simple as strength equals increase in muscle bulk it's also the muscle is working more efficiently in addition to increasing its size yep and you can kind of see this visually too if you look at olympic weightlifters or power lifters especially in the lower weight classes where they may not be a very large individual but those athletes are very very strong and very very powerful even though they may not look like a bodybuilder or something or another extreme athlete who is obviously very muscular and very large, but oftentimes it's sometimes these smaller individuals that can outlift or, or actually be stronger, more powerful than again, someone who's just training for muscle size. So there's definitely some overlap there, not to say a a large bodybuilder isn't also strong, but again, there's different kind of nuances of training and then the overall responses where It's both a combination of that neuromuscular response, but then also having larger muscles or that muscle hypertrophy response will certainly contribute there as well. So on a cellular level, do muscle cells get bigger or do you actually make more muscle cells? 
historically it's been muscle hypertrophy or a, an increase in that muscle size or the size of the cell itself that we thought was kind of the primary mechanism at play recently with some advances in laboratory techniques and different kind of analytical options we've discovered that there is also this increase in non-contractile protein or sarcoplasmic hypertrophy that also seems to occur within the cell itself. And then kind of from more of a whole body perspective, even though it's non-contractile proteins that are getting bigger, the muscle itself is still going to expand in size. So we still measure that as an increase in growth, even though it's not necessarily the contractile proteins themselves that are increasing in size. And then also there's some kind of newer speculation that there is likely an increase in muscle cells uh, or the number of cells that's probably occurring as well, or like a cell splitting type of response that we would refer to as muscle hyperplasia. And for a long time, it was really only thought to occur in animal models or animal cells. We didn't really have hard evidence that that could occur in humans. But again, with some of the advancements in laboratory techniques, there's some thought that there is uh, evidence of muscle hyperplasia occurring in the human cells as well. All right. Well, what type of sports or types of activities benefit from an individual increasing their strength? This, sometimes this answer surprises people a bit, but I would make an argument that really any athlete could benefit from getting stronger. Um, an increase in strength is going to help increase force output, which can also help translate to increases in power, explosiveness, agility, kind of the ability to start, stop, and change directions, which is going to be advantageous for a variety of different athletes and kind of specific skills within the sport itself. Uh, so even someone like a sprinter or a triathlete, if they have a higher amount of strength, they might be able to help, you know, get a final sprint at the end of a race or do a hill climb or a team sport athlete. If they have a higher level of strength, they might be able to jump higher, stop quicker, accelerate faster when they're changing directions. So I, I think, again, a variety of athletes could actually benefit from increasing strength through a certain training program. And then obviously a lot of our more kind of classical strength and power sports, football, wrestling, obviously weightlifting, track and field events such as shot put or discus, some of these kind of maximal efforts, single bouts of activity, obviously are very dependent on muscle strength and, and power as well. So obviously there's a, a clear need for developing strength over time with those uh, specific types of strength and power sports. But, but really, again, any athlete is going to benefit from getting stronger through their training. All right. So before we talk about the nutritional supplements, what type of lifestyle strategies could an individual do to increase their muscle their strength and their performance? So in terms of lifestyle, it's really going to come down to kind of a specific strength and conditioning program. So in order to increase strength, really the best way from a training standpoint is to continually expose that muscle or, or kind of muscle groups to higher loads and higher mechanical tension over time. And the important thing is they're going to be incorporating progressive overload is what we refer to as kind of a continual increase in stress that you're imposing on the muscle. And in a sense, that just means we have to lift heavier weights over time if we want to expect an increase in strength to kind of match that imposed demand being placed on it. So from a pure strength development standpoint, really the best way is going to be developing 
or again, exposing that muscle to increased amounts of load over time, whereas increases in muscular endurance or maybe anaerobic power and things like that may come down to more of a conditioning type of training style. So higher reps to failure or higher bouts of kind of maximal effort with short recovery periods, such as like interval training and things like that can help facilitate increases in what we refer to as anaerobic capacity or muscular endurance and other types of physiological skill sets that are obviously, you know, applicable to various different types of team sports or intermittent sport types of activities. So depending on kind of the specific nature of how that sport is played, there's going to be kind of a specific type of training style that would be more applicable to that kind of athlete in order to elicit the appropriate physiological adaptation that's going to be advantageous for that athlete. So it sounds like both aerobic training as well as resistance training plays a role in various types of sports and uh, in an athlete. Is that right? Yep, exactly. So I think pure strength and power athletes can sometimes benefit from doing some conditioning and some aerobic type training, because that can certainly help that athlete in their ability to recover between games or between training sessions. But then vice versa, I think pure endurance sports, such as a marathon or a triathlete, can also benefit from doing some strength training in their programming as well. Because again, having higher strength or higher power is going to translate to that athlete being able to, you know, finish a race strong or maximize power during a hill climb and, and cycling power capacity and things like that. So it's really any athlete can benefit from doing a, a wide variety of training. They just may prioritize certain styles of training more than other because they're more dependent on purely strength or purely power versus maybe more purely endurance, mm -hmm. like we would see in an, an aerobic athlete. Can you give us some idea of how much more benefit these nutritional supplements have? Is, you know, is it like a 5% improvement, 50% improvement or somewhere in between? I would say probably five to 15% type of improvement is sometimes what we've seen within the literature, depending on the specific ingredient or nutrient itself. Um, and so when it comes to, you know, helping to support strength and power, you know, over time, we see a little bit of a different approach as opposed to how an endurance athlete might benefit from a supplement or a nutritional strategy, because with endurance athletes, what you consume the days before or the day of can actually make an impact on performance in kind of an acute setting. Whereas from a purely strength and power perspective, there's not a lot of things that you can consume that's gonna increase one repetition max or your ability to throw a discus a little bit further on competition day. That's much more dependent on the type of training that, that athlete has been doing the previous three to six months. So when it comes to nutritional and, and supplement strategies for strength and power athletes, it's usually more of a focus on how can we maximize training adaptations over time? What types of nutrients or ingredients can we recommend to this athlete that's going to allow them to get higher quality training sessions in, uh, maybe help them recover a little bit, or maybe help promote increases in, in protein synthesis and in muscle hypertrophy over time. So there's just a slightly different shift and a, a different type of strategy that we'll employ with these kinds of athletes because it's more playing the long game. We're really trying to maximize training, the quality of training, and then the adaptations over time. And that's kind of where the focus is. Mm -hmm. 
So what are the more common supplements available that one might take to improve their strength and power? I would say that some of the most well-supported ingredients and supplements in the literature are going to be creatine, uh, beta alanine, and then if we want to call protein a supplement here where it's, it could be obviously in whole food form, but a lot of times we'll see protein shakes or, or protein bars that are kind of added to the diet as well. So those are probably kind of the, the foundational supplements or ingredients that are oftentimes recommended uh, because they have the most supporting evidence to demonstrate their ability to kind of maximize training adaptations again over time. The one that you could make an argument for that might actually have kind of a short-term benefit or short-term effect would again be caffeine, like we saw with endurance athletes, where taking a single dose of caffeine might offer some acute benefits 30 to 60 minutes post-ingestion, where we, we have seen slight increases in strength and power output, again, in that acute type of setting. Whereas the other supplements that I mentioned, that being creatine, beta-alanine, and protein, those really have to be ingested over several days or sometimes weeks in conjunction with a well-developed strength training or conditioning program before they're going to offer any type of performance benefit. So in order for those ingredients to work, they really, again, have to be combined with a training program. And that athlete still has to kind of give max effort and try to maximize that training session in order for that supplement to work or to offer any kind of physiological advantage there. So in a healthy individual, the products you mentioned sound pretty safe. You know, I, I would think if uh, somebody had significant renal insufficiency, that might be a problem. But in a healthy individual, are there any safety concerns about the products you mentioned? The three ingredients that I mentioned have been well studied and, and their safety profiles are, are very well supported. So again, assuming there's no medical contraindications where we wouldn't recommend those types of ingredients, they generally are, are safe to be consumed within kind of healthy ath athletic populations. And there's even evidence to suggest they're likely safe in adolescent athletes as well. So um, you can kind of see their potential for a variety of different athletic populations to, to get those benefits. Well, let's change directions just a touch now and talk about improving one's overall performance. Is, is that primarily a combination of improving strength and endurance, or does it mean something completely different? It, it likely could mean a combination of improving you know, strength and or power output, but really it will kind of depend on ultimately the athlete and then the type of sport that they're competing in. So improving overall athletic performance could mean having kind of a well-rounded level of strength, power, they might be agile, uh, they might have a good base level of conditioning or kind of aerobic capacity. And so that might be more applicable to like an intermittent field type of sport like soccer, rugby, lacrosse, and even maybe court sports such as basketball, things like that, where they really need to be pretty well skilled or have a, a good kind of wide array of physiological skill sets, I guess, for lack of better terms, that are going to kind of mean they have a good overall level of performance. Whereas someone like an Olympic weightlifter, they're pretty much just judged on their ability to be strong and powerful during a single or I guess multiple types of lifts. Uh, so there they can really kind of maximize and go all in on one type of training because that's really all they're judged or evaluated on is how good they are at, at one or two lifts for that sport. So it, it's always going to come back to the type of athlete or the type of sporting event that that person's competing in, in terms of how we would define 
what their level of performance is. And then kind of continuing from that thought process, we can then develop a specific training program that's really going to maximize the physiological adaptations required for that athlete to succeed. And then we can kind of develop a nutritional plan to help support the training. So helping to formulate how much energy, the right macronutrient ratios, if there's any particular supplements or ingredients that might fit in with that nutritional strategy as well, all with the intention of kind of maximizing training adaptations and then trying to optimize that athlete's performance. So in a sport like soccer, where both strength and endurance are important, what are some products, nutritional supplements that uh, might be beneficial for those athletes? I think one in particular that we've already mentioned a little bit would be beta alanine. And so that's an ingredient that can help increase intramuscular carnosine content, which is one of the buffering substrates that we have within a muscle cell. So an increased buffering capacity is going to mean that athletes better able to tolerate high intensity types of training when we see that acidic environment start to become evident within a cell. So if you can help buffer that increased acidic environment, theoretically, they should be able to kind of maximize force output for longer periods of time before they feel that sensation of fatigue or uh, how we generally feel that acidic environment is where their legs are on, on fire and they just kind of feel that that acid buildup within the musculature. So an improved buffering capacity, again, is going to help them tolerate higher intensity bouts of exercise for slightly longer periods of time. And then creatine would be another one too that was mentioned where creatine is going to help increase internal high energy phosphate stores. And that's kind of our short-term energy supply. So sports like soccer, where we see short bursts of maximal effort, they generally draw on that energy system much more. So if you can increase the capacity of that energy system, again, you're supplying more energy to support those maximal effort bouts of activity. I would say sports like that are, are still going to be a, a bit more dependent on things like glycogen content and glycogen storage. So again, a, a very targeted dietary strategy that's dependent on or, or built around carbohydrate loading or carbohydrate consumption is still going to be very advantageous for that type of athlete as well. So it really comes down to a good diet, good exercise and training program with some uh, potential small benefit from the nutritional supplements. Yep, exactly. All right. What's available to promote recovery in athletes, maybe uh, either preventing injury or speeding up uh, the recovery process in an injured athlete. Is there anything that can do that? In terms of speeding up recovery following an injury, I would say protein is likely going to be the most efficacious supplement there where you're just providing more key amino acids and substrates to help just promote that overall healing response within the injured tissue itself. In terms of overall recovery, even from muscle damage or intense bouts of training where we we see this kind of acute muscle damage or exercise induced muscle damage and then inflammatory response. There are a variety of, of nutrients, whether they're kind of fruit compounds or isolated supplements that are sometimes marketed with the goal or the structure function claim of reducing muscle damage, reducing inflammation and kind of promoting overall recovery. But the caveat there is sometimes we need to be careful when we completely blunt uh, that type of inflammatory cascade, because in a sense, we do need some of those 
uh, signaling mechanisms to be allowed to do their job because they're there to help promote kind of the internal cellular recovery and, and healing response itself. So we can't necessarily shut that off completely because that's what elicits those training responses and adaptations over time. So we kind of have to walk a fine line of how much is too much and when is it appropriate to reduce that inflammatory response and when do we kind of want it to, to run its natural course. And I think, again, it's going to depend on the setting itself. So there's a variety of nutritional and sometimes recovery strategies that we could maybe do during a weekend tournament where that athlete has to compete and recover very, very quickly because they may have another match the very next day. So there it might be appropriate or more acceptable to use some of these anti-inflammatory types of agents or supplements or even recovery strategies like cold water immersion type of therapy where again, we're providing that kind of anti-inflammatory type of treatment modality to them. But in just an off-season training program, I would make the argument that you kind of need that, again, inflammatory response, because that's part of how that athlete experiences those physiological adaptations and really just gets better uh, over time through the type of training that they're doing. So I think there's kind of a time and a place for some of these different, again, whether it's a nutritional therapy or like I mentioned with the cold water immersion, there's other types of kind of recovery modalities that are out there to help that athlete either heal or recover or feel better, I guess, when you're lessening the degree of muscle damage and soreness that may occur from the regular training that they're doing. Well, let's finish up by asking you to summarize our discussion and maybe give us two or three key points on the nutritional supplements used for strength, power, and overall performance. When it comes to increasing strength, power, and performance, I think the important thing to realize here is we're really just trying to maximize the training adaptations over time. So trying to look at certain types of supplements or ingredients that might help promote higher quality training sessions like creatine or beta alanine, perhaps caffeine. And then also what are some potential supplements that could help maybe promote more of the recovery side of training. So things like protein, fish oil, tart cherry juice, some of these other types of nutrients, ingredients that are out there that will help just facilitate recovery overall so that athlete can continue to kind of maximize training and get the, the appropriate benefit from it. Well, we've been discussing nutritional supplements used to enhance strength, power, and overall performance with Dr. Andrew Jagum, Director of Sports Medicine Research at the Mayo Clinic. Andrew, great points, uh, very important things for athletes. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week.